Welcome back to a special episode of Uncanny Treks where we are talking Battle of the Super Sun. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. How the hell are you doing tonight, Matt? Bob, I was kind of put off at first by the title of this film. Battle of the Super Sun sounded really lame to me. But after giving it a chance, it's not so bad. Is your objection to the term the Super Suns or is your objection to the concept of them battling? A little bit of both, Bob. I, I don't really care for the battling of superheroes like that. You know, when they did Superman versus Batman, Dawn of Justice, or was it, was it, Bat, was it Superman versus Batman or Batman versus Superman? I don't remember which one. It Whichever was probably one it was. Batman versus Superman. Just like this one starts, Batman and Superman battling yeah. <laughs> Super Sons. That was something I was going to deplore later in the episode is that like, Batman's stock is really high these days. Superman's stock, not so high. Batman always has to go first. Which in this movie is a little ironic because Batman doesn't show up for like 30 minutes. His son, man, his son kicks ass. <laughs> yeah, Damian yeah. Wayne, animated form, is awesome. Probably the Good best stuff. Robin. I, I think Damian Wayne, to me, is the best Robin. We'll, we'll get to that as we go through the, yeah, through the, yeah. uh, the movie. Well, and to your original point, Matt, I agree that the uh, Super Sons, maybe not my favorite title for them, but multiple series uh, called the Super Sons. It's a callback to those old stories in World's Finest where... Uh, they would imagine like Bruce Wayne Jr. and Dick Grayson Jr. or whatever, and I, I've made my peace with it. Yeah, that's, that's some that's some cheesy shit right there. But yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt. Well, since we're already talking about it, do you want to go ahead and explain the plot to our lovely listeners if they have not had the pleasure of watching this pretty good animated film yet? Yeah, and just to, just for a clarification, this is on HBO Max, uh, just like all the other animated films that we've we've been covering the last couple of yeah, months. Yeah, although there is the weird delay of it. I guess it came out like late last year, and now it's on HBO Max. So yeah, they they got to get them Blu-ray sales, Bob. I do they? Okay, that's, I, what, I, that's what they think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and right. then I. I'm glad that they keep producing these original movies. I, I don't understand the model. I don't understand the lack of promotion. I don't understand anything about it, but I'm glad they keep coming out. All right, Bob. So this, the plot of Batman and Superman Battle of the Super Sons, John Kent discovers his dad's secret, gradually discovers some Kryptonian powers, discovers an alien starfish invasion, and discovers an unlikely friend and an assassin kid. So, Matt, I guess we should just tackle the biggest question first. Did you have any thoughts on the animation style of this movie? Despite liking it, I found it a little off-putting. I guess because it's like, honestly, I, I'm not like an expert on animation and don't have the language to describe what I found off-putting about it. I'm not either, so I had to kind of do some research <laughs> but to understand what it was that I was seeing. Oh, Matt, your, your commitment to the listeners. Yeah. It's really sweet. It's really sweet. The, the characters are two-dimensional, and the backgrounds are like a three or 3D, so mm. it's all computer-generated. But it's like cell shading, which mm. you see in a lot of video games. So there's a whole okay. lot going on there. The best way I can describe it, it it's uh, there was a series that came on Amazon Prime called Undone. Uh, it's about a girl who kind of goes through a time loop. You know, when, mm -hmm. when that was real big in the 2020s. Animation style. Well, we're still like in the 2020s, Matt. I'm sorry, in 2020, in the, in, <laughs> during the during the time of the pandemic. Yeah, that was a. Uh, it's, the animation style is the same as that, and uh, it's not my favorite, but it's not. I don't dislike it to the point where I'm not going to watch it because some stuff when you hit that CGI, CGI stuff, it just, sometimes I just cringe. I can't watch it. Which question would you say I should watch Undone? Uh, I don't think you'd appreciate it that much. It's it's a okay. it's fun. It was kind of just a time waster for me and my wife. We both liked it. Okay. How long was it? Like episodes? I think it was, I think it was only like six episodes. Oh, that's not that's not so bad. No, it's not. It's not. Yeah, bad. I'm not. I'm not big on like non-franchise animation. I'm I'm ashamed to say, and I'm not real big on time loop stories. So oh, yeah. Yeah. then yeah, it's definitely not for you, bub. <laughs> Yeah, we start out as every Superman uh, story must. It's a law. We start out with uh, Jor-El and Laura, you know, on Krypton. It's about to explode. They're sending Superman away, but we get a we get a new t a new touch, Matt, that I had not seen uh, before in uh, scenes of Krypton. We see that Jor-El has an aquarium. Uh, you got any thoughts on that? There being Kryptonian aquariums. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They've got dogs. They've got cats. I think they have horses. I don't know. I didn't really look into that continuity, but. Uh... I mean, why not fish? Uh, weirdly, actually, I don't think... I think in at least the original Silver Age continuity, Comet, the, the super horse, not Kryptonian. Oh. Maybe in other versions he is, but uh, he's a rodeo guy named Bill Starr. So he's like <laughs> half uh, 
he's you know half half the time he's a super horse half the time he's a rodeo guy um he's in love with supergirl which i don't know if the fact that he's a real man makes that more or less weird I, i'm really not sure okay that's way more i need to know about super horse but okay that, that's that's cool and call him by his full name comet comma the super horse okay <laughs> comet the super horse Thank yeah, you. i don't even know the damn cat's name i know crypto and streaky 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 the super cat and everyone yeah, knows yeah. crypto though from super pets so yeah god god bless crypto yeah it's kind of surprising that uh, I, I i've not watched super pets but you would think they would have uh fit streaky and comet in there i don't know i didn't watch it but i mean there, there may be cameo appearances bob yeah maybe a little so, post credit post credit scene <laughs> super pets too maybe maybe comet will play the role of thanos in uh, super pets united <laughs> oh, God. all right so yeah indeed uh but the focus in the aquarium is not on the kryptonian fish it's on a starro in the aquarium not sure if we should infer from that that starro is native to krypton or if Jor-El, just being a science-minded guy, has captured an alien starfish. Uh, but either way, it's kind of interesting. I don't think we've ever seen Starro's linked to Superman's origin in any way. You know, as Krypton is falling apart, uh, the rocket's about to blast off, uh, Starro uh, sneaks out of the aquarium and hitches a ride on uh, Kal-El's rocket. Yeah, I feel like this has been done before with some other, something else. I just don't remember what. Like Eradicator, maybe? or Well... <laughs> I mean, definitely the it did give me flashbacks to the animated series uh, where Brainiac is the computer of Krypton, like the '90s animated yes, series. Yes, that's what. Yeah, and the code was in the ship, right, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then certainly, yeah, in the in the early '90s in the comics, they did, I think they did similar things with Eradicator being like a Kryptonian program or something. And then I don't know, maybe they've done something too with something physically hitching a ride on Kal-El's rocket. Although, honestly, I don't remember what that was, but that does sound familiar that, yeah, something something is like physically hitched a ride there. So after we get the, you know, the contractually required Krypton scene, which I, I, I was complaining about and am complaining about, but I guess it does make sense that, because we need to see Jor-El and his son's relationship as an anticipation of later stuff with Clark and John. It thematically fits, I guess. But we get this uh, opening montage, uh, opening credit scene that's like artsy comic-esque uh, panels. Uh, I actually kind of enjoyed that. What did you think of it? I, I thought it was badass. And what they were using were, uh, they're called Ben Day dots, which... I mean, it's an art term, but it's like those little those little precise dots they use for the skin tone and the different colorings, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, kind of ubiquitous in more like 50s, 60s comics. Right, right, yeah, it's, it's it was pretty cool. I, I didn't expect to see that within this, especially after seeing the CGI art style from the very, from the get-go, and being like, oh, okay, that's a whole shift. But it looked it looked interesting. I would be interested to see a full film in that style. <laughs> if they... Yeah, that would be cool, actually. That would be cool. I mean, honestly, again, this is a good film, but honestly, it would be a cooler style than the style they go for here. It may just um, be too, too experimental for them. Though. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah. They don't really want to push it too far. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know what like the labor and like the cost uh, rates are for something like that either. Montage does like really kind of keep going. You know, you have you like your standard man montage that you think will get to him, you know, like early in his career, but it just keeps going and keeps going. So the Kents are dead in this timeline, and so they don't know John. And then we see the courtship of uh, Clark and Lois, him telling Lois their secret, them getting married, them having John. As both of us were readers of Superman to some extent in the 90s, it's really kind of amusing how uh, quick this goes, considering how fucking long all this took to read in the 90s. Oh, God, and then, yes. Yeah. Well, and then hilariously, like, even though the Superman we have in current comics is, like, the same post-crisis Superman, more or less, um, really got to see, like, John being born or Lois and Clark raising early John, right? Because we skipped over all that because of complicated things about the New 52 and DC Rebirth and what have you. Yeah, and I think there's only so many plots they can have, like, a little baby you know, getting, getting yeah. kidnapped or in danger. I don't, maybe they wanted to avoid this. You know, it, it really did remind me of all those different things that happened on like Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, just that slow pace uh, mm -hmm. in the nineties. Yeah. When you, when you mentioned, that, I was like, damn, that was like a, a flashback right there. <laughs> all the different little <laughs> slow, I mean, it was a slow 
build. Not this quick thing they're showing here. It wasn't. You wanted to ask about preferring the Kents alive or dead, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of prefer the Kents alive myself, like both of them, you know, Jonathan and Martha. Whereas mm-hmm. recently we've seen more, usually Jonathan dies, Martha's still living, like in the movie continuity. And then there's, I mean, in the original way back, you know, the Kents were not even really a part of Superman's life. Uh, you know, in the first, I think in the in Action Comics number one, right? He well, was like raising it's kinda, an It's kind of weird because like they are and they aren't. So they're not a part of, as I understand it, they're not a part at all for Golden Age or Silver Age Superman. Mm-hmm. But you do have the introduction of Superboy, I think in the late 40s. And so they are an active presence in the Superboy stories. And I, I didn't really think about it this way, but in some way, right, like the decision to end like Superboy as a concept, I, I don't know if this was like John Byrne's motivation. I think John Byrne more just thought it would be kind of cool and that you didn't, there's no compelling reason for the Kents to be dead because he doesn't view Superman as being motivated by like tragedy in the same way of like Batman or Spider-Man. Right. But I guess it, another thinking is like, okay, the Kents had been a big presence in the comics since the forties, but just in Superboy strips. And so with no more Superboy, like, you know, uh, Clark wasn't Superboy starting in the, in the mid eighties, then I guess you're like, well, they might as well be alive. Eighties and nineties. Like they were both alive and there were a lot of stories and plot lines that's focused around mm-hmm. them. And, trying mm-hmm. to keep uh, everything covered up, you know, that they raised Clark, they raised Superman. But then I know, like, in the more recent continuity, are they, is Jonathan still there? Like, I don't even... I th- yeah, they're still, they're both still there. Okay, still so there. it's it's still yeah, the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah really I'm, not, I'm not sure how, how that happened exactly, but, yeah, like, I, I read, um, I read Tom Taylor's uh, Superman uh, with, with John as Superman, and yeah, both the Kents are still alive in that Okay. John dies in the Brainiac story around like 2000, right? Mm-hmm. And then I, yeah, I, I have no idea what the, I can't remember at all what the New 52 did to the Kent. For clarification, that Jonathan Kent, the father, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, Jonathan uh, Kent, the father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, John, John Kent, the son, uh, the son had he been invented. <laughs> Sounds like some Bible stuff now. Right? <laughs> it really does, which is appropriate given that the Kents are you know, presumably good Kansas Baptist like, or whatever. John the father, John the son. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of agree with you. I, I, I think the Kents, it's fine for the Kents to be alive. I would rather them not milk it too often for like cheap stories about the Kents being in danger. But I, I'm fine with them being alive. It does, you know, it doesn't seem fundamental to me that they be dead, unlike, say, Uncle Ben or the Wayne. To admit that, like, wait, you know, Bob, wait, it, wait, wait a second. Who are the Waynes? Bruce Wayne's parents. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They didn't was. Oh, they didn't give me a Batman origin in the story, so I didn't really know what went down. Oh, okay. oh, sorry about oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, I mean that is that is really <laughs> that is really un. That's really not thoughtful of them. You know, they put Batman at the start of the title of this thing, and then they don't yeah. give us a Batman origin. <laughs> yeah, we got to have that we... Batman origin, guys. I mean, I, I was completely yeah. lost. I, what is Batman's motivation? Yeah. So but I was I was just gonna say like if the golden age of comics is when you're eight you know yeah then <laughs> then it makes sense for you and I to be cool with like uh, be cool with the Kents being alive whereas I think for writers like Mark Wade and maybe Jeff Johns like it's kind of important that the Kents be dead because when they were eight the Kents were dead so I don't I I don't I don't have strong feelings on it but I guess I would say I prefer them alive. I guess that does make sense, yeah, because I was always thrown for a loop when I watched the first Superman film, and John Kent dies at the beginning, but I was watching it in the 90s, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they were so much a part of, like, the Lois and Clark show, and, and the comics, and the Superman, the animated series. Booty details we pick. Matt, I want you to steal yourself. I know this is going to be very hard for you to hear, but uh, Jimmy Olsen's black in this continuity. Oh, shit, where's the fan backlash, Bob? I know, Matt. I know. It's horrible. How, how dare they change the mythos like this? Everything's different. It matters so much. Uh, and he's uh, he's actually black in the CW Supergirl, too, I believe, right? Yes. He is. He is. Um, and that's that's not the objectionable thing about him in the CW Supergirl. The objectionable thing about him in the CW Supergirl is that they make him into the Guardian. 
Well, not yeah, that and he's very suave. He's not your usual Jimmy Olsen, which this to me was just this was Jimmy Olsen in this film. Like he's kind of dorky, you know. Yeah, he has the mannerisms to the so we don't see him that much, but he has the mannerisms of of you know your kind of dorky Jimmy Olsen, right? Right, and in the CW show, it's like Supergirl and and, and Jimmy Olsen. They're, they're probably gonna fuck. Well, they did. They did. Oh, they did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't watch enough of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I got through like three seasons of it before I surrendered. It it also became clear that they weren't really gonna do anything with the Legion angle, and so I was just like, uh, okay, I'm just gonna let this go. It wasn't it wasn't a terrible show. I mean, it was really, it was really sappy and like I don't know, but it, it trashy. But I I enjoyed it. Yeah, that sounds about like most CW shows at this point. Off the montage, we're with John in uh, Lois and Clark's house in Kansas. And uh, John, I guess for homework, is having to read Clark's History of the Daily Planet and about the role of the Daily Planet in the 30s, which, you know, is the decade that Superman originally debuted in, which I thought that was a, a little, a nice little funny thing. I also share John's hatred of reporters, so I just wanted to, uh, to give John credit for that. It's an interesting assignment, just to give you a little nod there to when Superman was created and... Uh, did you quickly? Did you figure out pretty quick that John doesn't know who his dad is? Superman. Uh, it took me some time to pick up on it. Okay. Yeah. Like in hindsight, I think they're teasing it pretty straightforwardly. But yeah, as far as I can remember, with how they did DC Rebirth, John always knew. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about that. But as far as like, there was a really good Lois and Clark comic that was like a miniseries that covered some of John and Lois and Clark's life together right before the DC Rebirth stuff. I feel like he in that he always knew, but maybe I'm misremembering it because I haven't read it since it came out. The whole point of this thing, though, is to show that, okay, the reason John, uh, the reason Clark is so busy all the time is because he's a reporter and has to go off on all these, you know. Mm -hmm. And so John resents the reporting. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. When, when really yeah. we know what he's real, he's Superman. That's why he's going around yeah. all over the place. Yeah. And missing Although baseball games. <laughs> and it was weird because it was like they felt like having Clark be distracted was the explanation for like him not being around. But then, you know, famously, like it's not so much when we were reading, but more in like the Silver Age, right? Like Clark Kent is supposed to be a klutz, right? right. He's supposed to be absent-minded. They kind of give that to Lois as a characterization, right? I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I, I'm not like strongly opposed to it, but I'm, I, I can't say that I'm a big fan of like absent-minded Lois as a characterization yeah i don't care for that either she, she's the character in this that to me seemed the most or i want to say uncharacteristic like it didn't seem like the lowest i know yeah but maybe it's because i haven't read enough of her as a mother i've only really known her as you know reporter and having her be emphasized as mother rather than reporter like she was when we were young reading her kind of puts her in a different light and i yeah i definitely prefer the emphasis to be like on lois as like a reporter right mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. I did have to say, like, there was the line that John, I think he says this to Lois, that uh, you're the most unexciting couple in the entire universe. And at that point, it wasn't entirely clear to me whether John knew that Clark was Superman. And I thought, either way, that was a pretty funny line. Like, it's pretty funny if he doesn't know. And if he does know, but it, he's just so inured to it that he doesn't care, that's also really funny. Yeah, but then in the next scene, Bob, he goes digging up under his parents' bed and finds Superman's costume in a box. And he thinks yep. they're cosplaying. And I'm like, that's some weird, like, kinky shit right there. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. John opens up uh, a, a, war, um, a wardrobe in Lois and Clark's bedroom and sees that uh, he's <laughs> Clark, or maybe Lois, has kept the, the like, the kind of, like, gladiator, like, slave outfit that Clark was wearing on War World in the previous arc. And the Lois, like, very kind of quick, quickly, like, closes the door and, like, reminds John the importance of personal boundaries. And, the, yeah, the clear implication is that Lois has Clark keep that outfit for sex purposes. From what the outfit was actually from. But, yeah, that makes, okay, now that all makes sense. I, uh, I actually I actually thought it was kind of funny. I it guess it was funny. Yeah, it was it was yeah. funny regardless. But it was it was it was a funny little nod to that. I bet, um, yeah, I di I didn't like the I didn't like how they handled like Steel and his niece in the issue, right? Because they basically make them like Elon Musk. But what if they were good? Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. And they it was just you know it was like 
Steele, like steel gives a press conference to that issue where he's like listing out all the problems that are facing the world and probably going to end the world like you know climate change mm -hmm. nuclear war huge gaps between the rich and the poor starvation and he's like we fix this by education and technology and it's like nah bro you you fix it by cutting off the heads of the rich that's how you fix it <laughs> Did you uh, enjoy the backup in that issue? Because I didn't even make it through it. I can't say I loved it because apparently it's like a spinoff. You know, they're doing the Lazarus Planet event right now. Right, yeah. And apparently in an anthology for the Lazarus Planet, they had the initial story that like explains this. But apparently like Lilith, who's this old character from like 60s, 70s Teen Titans, she was the chick who like uh, had the red hair and the miniskirts back in the day and, and like was dating the cave guy. Apparently like she and Power Girl now share some sort of like psychic bond. And it's also like, I can't tell if they like are in a relationship or if it's just they're subtextually in a relationship. That was a little unclear to me, but yeah, that's the kind of new status quo for Power Girl, which I didn't dislike the story and I don't dislike the idea of Power Girl being a lesbian, but I just thought the execution, I, I don't know, like I was, I was a little muddled. Maybe if I'd, maybe if I'd read the Lazarus Planet story instead of just hearing it described on another podcast, I would have enjoyed it more. Back to oh, the but movie. that, did you like the explanation for the window in Power Girl's costume? I actually did think that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's fun. The, ex the explanation was that boob sweat is a killer. And so oh, that, that's okay. why, which okay. I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. All right, Bob, back to the film. Uh, back after, to the film. After, we, after John pulls out this thing and mentions cosplaying, that's when you know for sure that John doesn't know his father's Superman. Yeah. How are we supposed to believe this? I mean, I, it's, it's a little far-fetched. Uh, if he can hide it from, if he can hide it from a newsroom of the best reporters in the world, including the one he's dating, he can hide it from his son, I feel like, especially with like super speed and what have you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it was it was a hard sell for me, but may, I mean, maybe I, I don't. I do like it as like, because it's sort of a metaphor for like you know like what parents can tell their kids, what they can't tell their kids, and also it, it's a it's a little bit of a way to recreate that like silver age dynamic of him concealing his identity, but it's like a little less creepy, like. Him concealing his identity from Lois always has a kind of creepy element because he also wants to date Lois. But him concealing it from his young son, not nearly as creepy, right? So Bob's okay with lying to your kids but not your spouse. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. No 15-year-old no, no, no deserves the truth, Matt. <laughs> Good call, Bob. I, and this is not going to be my first uh, complaint about the writing in this movie. But whoever wrote that line for John about... Uh, putting your life on a, on the line versus putting your name on a byline, they should be sent to a re-education camp. That was such a bad line. It made me so angry. <laughs> that, that was terrible. Yeah, I didn't even hear that line, but apparently it really impacted you, Bob. Uh, so, be thankful, Matt. Be, stay, stay blissful in your ignorance. So just so you have an idea of how this podcast works and functions, Bob writes, he watches it first, does his set of notes, and then I watched the film and go through his notes. And for the first like 10 minutes of this film, Bob filled in like two pages of information of like quotes and things that I like completely missed. And I had to go back and like rewatch the first 10 minutes again. <laughs> so I was like, fuck you, Bob. Like, <laughs> this is a good movie, but I'm like getting way too into this film. But it, it does help me analyze things a little closer, I guess. And it's, I have to do it. But Bob always seems real, well, like the first cut, the first 10 minutes, Bob's always like, I guess your eyes are glued to the TV. Maybe you're just like you're synthesizing everything that comes through. And then after the 10 minutes, you're like, okay, now I'll just start talking about big plot points. <laughs> it just also just usually feels like after the first 10 or 20 minutes, there's just less to say, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once you've gotten into the plot and get into this heading towards the climax of the film. So what did you think of the green arrow cameo, Matt? So Bob, there's like a heavy use of green arrow in these DCU movies. Uh, I kind of always wonder, are they going to make an anniversary of that unproduced Supermax film? Which I think would yeah. be awesome. Remi remind the listeners what that what that is, because so, I, I only vaguely remember it myself. Originally, there was going to be a film. What's the name of the prison that all the bad guys in DCEU go to? Blackade? Uh, it's Super not Black. It's Super... Well, the I think it's, it may just be called Supermax. I don't know. It's where all is the it the vault or is that Marvel? 
I think that's Marvel. I don't know. There's so many. Is it Bell Rev, the Suicide Squad one? We'll just we, we can say it's Bell Rev just for the just for this. But I okay. want to say that sure, they, sure. Green Arrow gets locked in one of these prisons somehow, and he tries to he needs to escape, but in order to do it, he's got to like take out all these supervillains. He's you know it, it's just a cool uh, escape film with Green Arrow as the main uh, yeah. protagonist. And I think this was like in somewhat serious development, but then mm-hmm. the. Then the Batman trilogy and then the d- desire. They wanted to have a Batman show, but they weren't going to make... Or they, they wanted to have a, a Batman show after the Dark Knight trilogy, but they you know obviously weren't going to do a Batman show, so they did Arrow instead. I think that kind of derailed it, right? Right. I mean, I would love for them to take that and take that premise and make it into an animated film. You could get a yeah, Arrow has kind of made Green Arrow, you know, relatively speaking, a, a more heavy hitter. Right? Yeah. And soon to be Blue Beetle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was Blue Beetle on Arrow? No, no, no. Oh, yeah, he was, but it was it, no. He was on Smallville. I take that back. He was on Smallville. I sent you that link. That what? I if you really want to yeah. see something like really weird, go look up Blue Beetle Smallville on YouTube, and you will see the weirdest, like, cheapest way they could do Blue Beetle on a WB show back in, like, I guess it would have been 2006, seven. Yeah, I just there. looked at the screen grab <laughs> you sent me. I didn't look at any footage. I remember, oh. like, I remember they had the Justice Society on there, too, and that looked pretty strange. Yeah, it all looks really bad, but, you know, compared to today's standards. But what they yeah. had back then, guys, you just got to live with it. Uh, you know, Green Arrow, we saw him pretty prominently in a different continuity in the last DC animated movie we reviewed, the Green Lantern one. But here we see him on the Watchtower getting taken out by, you know, what we presume is Starro. So that, that was nice. And then we're back at this ball game. We're having a little bit of a tease that Jonathan's power or John's powers are going to manifest. But nope, he gets struck out. That was pretty funny. Yeah, they did the same shit with him lifting the hay like two minutes earlier. He's out in the board and like he's trying to lift the hay up and can't do it. And you think he's going to do it and he's going to like fling it, but it doesn't happen. Going back to the, to the, to the baseball thing. The little punk or bully kid was like, he he uttered the worst line ever when Jonathan missed. He said, Jonathan can't. I, really? I thought that was pretty good. Oh, God. Bob, that's terrible. Kent and can't are not like, no. You, you, you just got to have a more flexible sense of rhyming, bro. No, 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 no. It, it was bad. You know, as as this film continues, we Jonathan's powers do begin to manifest. And the very first power that manifests is heat vision. It's either always going to be heat vision or super strength. It's never yeah. one of the other powers. Well, I mean, they're the most dramatic. I mean, yeah. as you know, like, is freeze breath really what you want to start with? <laughs> I want to see that happen. I want to, I want that to be the weird thing. And then him having to go to the doctor and the doctor's trying to explain it. You know what I mean? Like that. <laughs> freeze breath comes first. And so he becomes like a cold themed hero because he doesn't realize that like other powers are going to come that are going to make him super bad. Exactly. So <laughs> He just calls himself Captain Freeze or something. <laughs> you, you just, yeah, you're you're seeing how awesome this could be, Bob. Good. All right. Um, but did you ever watch the film Brightburn? No, never even heard of it. Okay. It's a horror film that came out in 2019, and it is basically what if Superman was a monster. He was, okay. he, as a kid, like he learned he had these powers, and he's like, shit, I've got all this power and all these things I can do. Heat vision is the first thing that manifests, and he just burns the shit out of everything that bothers him. Like this little, this little Melvin kid, he just, he yeah. just light him on fire. His mom's pissing <laughs> him off, he just light her on fire with his eyes. His gun was a big piece of this film, so I don't know if that's going to uh, sway whether or not you're going to watch it or not. But Ah, <laughs> uh, man. I don't really, like, love the premise because it's, like, I mean, the Twilight Zone already did, like, creepy kids with powers, like, in the 50s, right? You know, like, I'm kind of (laughs) good. But this kid even wears a cape, Bob. Come on. (laughs) It's kind of funny that, like, you know, James Gunn's branding right now, at least, is, like, no, no, no. Like, I like All-Star Superman and Kingdom Come Superman. You know, that's his branding on social media about it right now. But it's kind of funny that he did, like, a, oh, what if... You know, it kind of implicitly in contrast to like Scott Snyder's darker Superman, you know, uh-huh. or not Scott Snyder's, Zack Snyder's darker Superman. Yeah. And it's kind of funny that he's responsible for, well, what if, what if kid Superman was a psychopath? Yeah. And that's, that's exactly what the film is. It, it's crazy. But uh, anytime I see the heat vision manifest, I'm thinking, damn, he's like just a couple of brain cells away from uh, <laughs> burning everything down to the ground. <laughs> Nice, nice. I, I, this is a quick side note. Matt, do you like Kingdom Come? 
Uh, I liked it when I was younger, but it was primarily, I think, because of the art. I don't think the story is that great. And that, and, okay, yeah. let me tell you this. The sequel that came out to it. The Kingdom. Yes. With, that didn't have the art. And it was yeah, nowhere nope. near as interesting, and it kind of was, was boring. So I kind of think that maybe, like, I was just entranced by the artwork. <laughs> if Alex yeah, Ross like, would have been a we, part of it, we wouldn't even be talking about it. We were we were super into it as kids, but I, I have to say, as I've got gotten older, not only do I not care for the story anymore, I also don't care for the art anymore, man. Uh, like, I don't like Alex Ross's stuff anymore. Yeah, I like the designs of some of the hero, like the older heroes. I will I will say that, like the green, I like the green lantern armored. Uh, it was Hal Jordan, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was Alan Scott. Oh, it was Alan. Sure. Yeah, it was like completely yes, right. It was Alan Scott. The whole the whole armor setup he had. Although there. it was also it wasn't like super clear, right? Like who is? I remember especially like who the Flash, Green Lantern, and Hawkman were was not super clear. And a lot of those designs too, they've adapted into the mainstream continuity, like with Red Robin. Uh, you know, he which is a terrible outfit. design, I think. Uh, I agree, like, it is a terrible. That's one, <laughs> I was just about to say that. Yeah, I agree, it is not one of the better designs, but they did take from that comic thinking it was you know, the designs were okay. Yeah, some of the other stuff, like Black Lightning's daughter, I think comes from there, and I think mm-hmm. Steel's niece comes from there. Like, that stuff's fine. Yeah, she was like, there. I, mm-hmm. yeah, like I like Thunder and, and, and Natasha, but like designs for the heroes i don't care for me a promising comic because at least the way i see i don't follow gun on twitter but i see a lot of people posting about his what he's tweeting on facebook if that makes sense and like maybe i'm getting a biased or a warped view of it but it just seems like gun is like teasing that he's going to use like kingdom come to be like the key to the new dc universe like infinity gauntlet was the key to the mcu and that just seems like a terrible idea to me, especially just because Kingdom Come is like, it's a comic about how old your heroes are. Like, I just, that doesn't seem promising. Yeah, it has a lot to do with the, the whole aging thing. And, I, you know, I always think back, and my brother had to point this out to me one time, that a lot of the directors and producers and people now that are in charge of these things, they were reading the same comics we were as kids which is why we're seeing so many of these things being adapted to screen. I think Kingdom Come had its place when it came out. Yeah, because Gunn is probably only five or ten years older than us, right? Uh, actually, he's 56, but so that's what, he's about 15 years older than us. But, okay, okay. So, but, so he was like starting his career when Kingdom Come came out, yeah. and that probably influenced his writing, and then he's like, well, oh, it, It's the get... same reason we're seeing a lot of 90s stuff get kind of retooled in the past say like five seven years in comics right exactly yes and and it it is the reason we're seeing that now and i think that's probably why he's using kingdom come as an influence i don't think it's a great idea honestly i I would yeah me neither neither. there's a ton of other things i would go for probably that (laughs) yeah okay sorry enough of uh (laughs) you're fine yeah super sense is going to get us off on tangents folks because it's it's good stuff I mean, it's something it we is, need to talk about. Is. We got to get it out there. <laughs> so John has his power. Clark has to reveal the truth to him. The way he reveals the truth, I actually thought was a very cool little scene, a very cool little visual. It's John's like crying in the barn and Clark comes in and he's hovering in the Superman costume, but with the glasses. It makes a very nice little vision. Yeah, it uh, reminded me of uh, Superman for the Quest for Peace. At one point, he acts like he's going to commit suicide and walk off the ledge of his apartment building. And he mm-hmm. takes Lois with him. But as he's falling, <laughs> he changes outfits, but he keeps the glasses on. And then she takes them and puts them in her, in her, uh, in her pocket or something. So, yeah, I was like, oh. I like how, on the one hand, that sounds really funny. On the other hand, it sounds incredibly dark. It's super dark, yeah. Yeah, if you ever yeah. watch, I don't know if you've watched Superman 4 lately, but it's, it's a weird trip. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, I, I like, watched one and two a couple years ago when they were on HBO Max, which was maybe the first time I'd ever seen them in full. I'd definitely seen parts of them, but I don't know if I'd ever seen them in full. And I kind of, after two, I didn't really have the appetite to keep going. Oh, yeah. Superman 4 is a train wreck, but it's, to me, it, it was always one of my favorite films as a kid just because there's a lot more action in it where he's fighting yeah. the nuclear man and all that stuff. <laughs> but yeah, 
there's a villain. <laughs> yeah. There's a villain that I can do, be punched. So I do appreciate the Lois takes the hard line that as soon as John uh, gets x-ray vision, he can't go to school anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, no shit. X-ray vision and invisibility are like the creeper powers. There's also the funny little detail that John's a huge Batman fanboy. I, th- I think, I might be wrong about this, but I think in the comics, he doesn't really like Batman, but he loves Nightwing. But anyway, I was kind of hoping that Lois would have a snide comment about John being so into Batman, but the writing failed me a little there. After that, you know, there is that scene where Superman flies with John on his back. They fly past an airplane, and in the airplane is a little girl, and she's looking out the window, and she points out to her mom, look, look, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a boy flying. That was pulled straight from the first Superman, where Lois and her mother are on a train, a young Lois, Mm-hmm. And she looks out the window and sees Clark running through the grass, through the cornfields. Mm-hmm. And the mother says, there's nothing out there. Just read your book. Well, if you notice this girl, though, it was here, play on your phone. <laughs> and I just thought that was a, that was a very was, telling it, piece it, it about where we are in society. <laughs> yeah, it was very telling. Um, I, there were a lot of Superman callbacks in this, like yeah, uh, yeah. For, the, for the film. I, I was impressed. They were, I mean, they weren't, they weren't directly you know, callbacks, but you could tell that's where they got the influence. Clark is taking John to get checked out. Uh, my dread was that it was going to be some boring Star Labs guy. I was hoping it was going to be Dr. Midnight, but obviously it turned out to be Batman. And while they're going, they're having a conversation where uh, John is trying to think of what his name, his superhero name should be. And he says that Superboy is taken, so apparently Connor Kent does exist in this universe, which is... They've got all the other Teen Titans members, so... And then we get to Gotham and, uh, you know, we get a little detail that I don't know if I've ever heard in a comic or a movie before, but I guess it makes sense. Apparently Gotham really smells bad. Must be Ace Chemicals, Bob. Must be, Matt. Must be. (laughs) Stinking Um, up the city. (laughs) (laughs) So after like 25 minutes, Batman shows up in this movie where he has top billing. And uh, yeah, you know, he's beating up the penguin on a roof. Yeah, I kept having to remind myself that eventually Damien and Batman will show up in this film. Because <laughs> I yeah. this almost seemed like a John Kent origin story. Yeah, um, it re- that really didn't seem like the natural course of the first 25 minutes, you know? Even though, I guess I, sh- I guess I should say in fairness, we did see Batman in the montage where, like, we see Superman and Batman, like, shaking hands or something. Right, they were, like, teamed up, yeah. I was also kind of disappointed because... At first, I thought this Batman was going to have the purple gloves from the Golden Age, but it turns out that those were just the Penguin's purple gloves, so that was a real blow to me. Yeah, I just want to say that of all the Batman villains they could have put for Batman to chase on a rooftop, they chose the Penguin. Although I will say that the voice actor did a great impression of Burgess Meredith. Oh, nice. I didn't, I didn't even catch that. I'm oh, yeah, it they was were like spot that. on. I was like, wow, that's actually... Now, I, for a minute there, I was like, no, Burgess Meredith's dead. There's no way it's him. But <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, he's long. He's been dead a long he's time. Long yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So we go to the Batcave. I, I really don't like this version of the Batcave, I have to say. It's way too simplistic. Like, the older I get, the more I long for those, like, overstuffed caves with, like, way too many cars, way too many, like, trophies all over the place, just, you know, yeah. in random-ass places. Batman uh, should be a hoarder. Yeah, this is like a very streamlined, you know, almost like a Tony Stark Iron Man get-up thing going on. Well, and it's just all, like, empty platforms, like, hanging over chasms. Mm-hmm. And granted, they use that for a good gag in a minute, but it's still, I, I don't know, I just, I didn't like it. It was a weird design. So we get our first appearance of Damien, Bob, and I was we thrown do. by Damien's design at first, and I cannot put my finger on what it was. The goofy hair is one thing. But it's it was also spiked, right? It's spiked, yeah. It's like spiked, some kind of faux hawk thing. I don't know. But then his, it's the mask. That's what it really is, because he wears the mask the f- whole film except for the last couple of scenes, and the mm-hmm. eye slits. I'm, I, I kept thinking that the eye slits were his actual eyes. So compared to Con- Jonathan Kent, it just looked wrong. But yeah. then I realized, okay, the eye slits are not his actual eyeballs. Like that's not. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird issue in my brain. I don't know, but it finally clicked about halfway through the film. Since I love Damien in this film, I'm like, I, I can I can let it pass. It's fine. No oh, I, I I love Damien in almost everything. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, oh, he's awesome. Like uh, yeah. this character, this one of the best characters to come out of Batman in you know the last twenty years. 
Yeah, God, God bless Mike Barr and Grant Morrison. So we get some pretty good jokes in this scene. Um, we get Damien very unsubtly referring to the you-know-what-a-night. And then um, we, we have John talking about the bat meta-analyzer. I thought that was pretty good. And then I, I really do like the dynamic they do here with Damien and John. I think the comics do it sometimes, but they don't emphasize it as much. But Damien is the cosmopolitan, international, sophisticated playboy. And he just kind of looks down on John as like a farm boy rube. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I kind of like the characterization. It's slightly different from what you see in the comics, but man, it... it... It's good, and it fits his look, because he does look like a tool. I mean, honestly, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does. But like the rich boy, and a little bit like the kind of rebel boy, and it kind of comes together very well, right? Yeah. Then we get, the also, best, one of the, we get to the, one of the best parts of the film, Bob. That's when Damien just tosses John Kent off of, off of a cliff in the cave. I mean, <laughs> what an asshole. But you just want to see if he had powers. I mean, what, yep. what, what a little asshole. Like, I don't know. <laughs> It's great. It's great. And how does Batman punish him for doing shit like that, too? Like, I don't even... He's going to spank him? Like, I don't know what he's going to... It's just like, well, he's obviously not invulnerable. Yeah. (laughs) And then we also... John's reaction to it is pretty good, too. He's just kind of annoyed and talking about having to nurse his bat wounds. Yeah. (laughs) That cracked me up. After uh, John and Clark leave, we see... uh, Or actually, right before they leave, we see... uh, Damien having an intense conversation with Wonder Girl. This is the Cassie Sandsmark Wonder Girl. And it's basically her breaking up with Damien, but literally it's just her telling him that he got voted down for Teen Titans membership. And the reason, Bob, he's just too violent. Fair, fair. (laughs) Too violent for the Teen Titans. And we also see John uh, meeting uh, Damien's uh, pets, including Bat-Cow, and John realizing that uh, Bat Cow needs milking, so he milks Bat Cow against Damien's orders, and then gives Batman the Bat Pail of Bat Cow milk. That was very funny. Yeah, and when Damien uh, confronts John about you know milking the cow, he says, "I'm the grandson of the Demon's Head. I've killed more people than you'll ever meet. So leave my cow and leave my cave alone." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that that's gold. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, lo- man loves his cow. I do yeah. like that in the in the comics, Damien is a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> it's Which, like, there's a great Grant Morrison issue where it's like they have a fight in a slaughterhouse and he's like, you know, this is gross. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not eating meat anymore. And I'm also just going to throw out there, I assume that Alfred is the one milking the cow on a regular basis. Just, and I guess well, Damien never It seems never like the cow's that. not getting, not getting milked. That, that's the, that's the issue. It seems like. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, well, it lives in a cave. I don't know where it eats its grass. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a, it, the bat cow lives off uh, like cave lichen. <laughs> or bat guano or something. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's a weird <laughs> thing to have a cow in a cave. Just throwing that out there. Um, it's great. So it's great. Green Arrow, you know, contacts Superman and Batman from the, from the Justice League satellite. He says, when you heard him talking, did you feel accomplished when both Superman and Batman knew something was off and you also knew something was off, Bob? Because I sure did. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't feel special because we already saw the scene of, you know, presumably Starro getting Arrow. But it is nice when your characters are not stupid. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was listening. It's like, Green Arrow doesn't sound right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, and then, so we have them go to the Watchtower, right? And they encounter Star-Road Martian Manhunter. And we see this very kind of cool horror movie visual of Starro crawling out of Martian Manhunter's throat. I really liked that. Yeah, it's pretty gross. They got they, they did some really good, like, horror movie-type trope stuff here with the star thing. And making it, like, even when they remove it, there's blood involved, you know? At one yeah. point, blood is, like, seeping out Batman's mouth. Like, there's... They're, they did some gory, nasty kind of shit with us at some points. Same time, it also it doesn't really ever vibe. It still feels like you could show this to like, a, you know, a six or seven year old, and it would be good. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe a ten year old. <laughs> okay, okay. Bob's like small children, not really sure if age ranges. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're back at the we're back at the game, or rather, we're back at school. And uh, John is now having to wear glasses, and his uh, his bully is now mocking him and calling him Can't See Kent, which I also think is a great nickname. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
the rhyme scheme is not there, but whatever. But yeah, <laughs> fucking Melvin with the name calling, and, and then he says only nerds with good grades can play baseball. I, I, I do, I do like that that he, he doesn't have good enough grades to play baseball. <laughs> poor guy. <laughs> you let, let him have a constructive outlet. Jeez. So, um, so we we see. Um, I think it's uh, yeah, Damien sitting in the Bat Cave, and we're looking at the roster of this universe's Teen Titans. And so we see Cyborg, we see Beast Boy, we see Kid Flash. I'm unsure which Kid Flash, but we see a Kid Flash. We see Wonder Girl, as we already discussed. We see Calder as Aqualad. We see what looks like Roy Harper as Speedy, and then we see Jaime Reyes. I was just excited to see Calder Aqualad. Get that yeah, dude on yeah. everything. He's great. I, I really like how he's thoroughly just replaced Garth, who really sucks. Right. Like Garth... Yeah, Garth Aqualad sucks. I'm really glad we have Calder now instead. He's so much better. And then while Damien's looking at the computer, we have Starro Batman creeping up on him. And he's doing these really wild contortions with his fingers that I thought was really creepy. I really liked it. Yeah, I would totally watch like a horror-themed superhero film with Starro if they did something like that. It would be pretty badass. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then we also, after um, after Batman or Star of Batman tries to take out his son, we get to see the Justice League uh, lineup, and it's kind of it's kind of a weird lineup, right? So we've got the world's finest, we've got Green Arrow and Martian Manhunter, who we've already talked about, and then we've got Hawkman. And I guess we can assume that Wonder Woman, Flash, and Aquaman are around since their sidekicks are, but it was just, it was kind of curious, like, which Justice League members we saw versus which which we didn't see, right? Yeah, that was a strange, like, setup on his monitors because it did include them, and then it included the some of the characters from, like, the, the Titans. And then, of course, the only one left of was, was John, who he, yeah, you know, yeah. he was not very He's happy not about having to either, team yeah. up with. Um, yeah, this movie is in its own little continuity, right? Like, it doesn't interface with any of the other animated movie continuities. And it kind of seems like the only heroes in this continuity are the Justice League and the Titans. I mean, which I, I guess that makes sense. Although works. it does, it does kind of raise the question of have there in this in this continuity have there been other Robins besides Damien? Good question. I kind of part of me wishes like when they did New Fifty Two, they would have rebooted Batman and done that and gone that direction where there had only been one Robin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't because then that, like you have well then you don't you, have you Dick don't Grayson. yeah well but you lose Jason Todd Tim Drake Stephanie yeah, Brown Damian, Jason Todd then, can go fuck himself but who, <laughs> he's, he's interesting he's and then it's right. like so you don't have him and people are gonna want to read about him so they're gonna bring him in in like two years anyway and they're gonna bring him in all at once and they're gonna be simplified from what they were and it's just it's not gonna be good like just tell. The answer is never to restart the universe. The answer is just to tell better fucking stories. Like, that's always yeah. the answer. We just want good stories, folks. We just want good yeah. stories. Regardless yeah. of who is underneath the, the cowl or the mask. Anyway, so we're back at the school. And I, I gotta say, I really think uh, Principal Cunningham is uh, kind of a, a shitty principal. He, uh, he, he was going to suspend John for getting, in a, for getting punched which you shouldn't be suspended for getting punched. But then he also, he's like, no, I like your parents, so I'm not going to suspend you. And it's like, well, no, you should suspend him even if you do like his parents. Like, what the what the hell is up with this guy? Yeah, Principal Cunningham is a dumbass. Uh, he just didn't want to fill out, like, the paperwork or call in the parents because that's, like, you know, confrontation. So <laughs> I have a feeling, though, if the kids had been called in, they'd probably blame the teacher or something. Well, he, he but he does call in Lois, right? He says he's going to call in Lois and they're going to take care of it. Yeah. It's like, I, oh yeah. Yeah. That Lois and, does show up later. Doesn't she? Maybe yeah. he was under the influence of a star. And we just didn't. Know and it. I, maybe, maybe it was a star. <laughs> and I also want to say, I resent the implication that Lois is a Karen. She's many things, but she's not a Karen. Thankfully though, Bob Damien shows up in his like jet and lands in the courtyard of this uh, middle school. Melvin tries to confront John again in the hallway. And Damien does like this nerve touching move that just, completely paralyzes Melvin and it says it's going to take up to like a week for him to, to heal. I was like, damn, mm -hmm. I need to learn some of those things. And, and then we see Lois show up too, but it is, you know, called by principal Cunningham, but it is Starro Lois. And so she freaks out on them. They flee in the bat wing. And we have this great scene of Starro Lo Star Lois just wailing on the bat wing. I really enjoyed that. 
Yeah, I was really wondering how they were going to get out of this without killing Lois. Because she's hey. flying, she's on top of a cockpit. Yeah. <laughs> Punching glass. Think, and they drop her in a lake, a conven- come on. Yeah, convenient lake, man. The convenient lake. She's not invulnerable. I, it was it was very awkward. And You uh, could survive a fall from a bat wing to a lake, Matt. I believe in you. <laughs> I don't know. It's not that. So we... We also get a little uh, a little cord tech reference around this point, and then we see the Super Sons go to the Fortress of Solitude, which John didn't know about. Uh, John is struggling to get the heavy Fortress of Solitude key in the lock and turn it. That was pretty fun. And then we have uh, the revelation of another great character, Crypto the Super Dog, baby. Yeah, Crypto's guarding the Fortress of Solitude, and... I was a little annoyed though because when we they reach the point where they find like a Jarrell hologram, you know, that's telling them all kinds of stuff. And mm-hmm. Jarrell has to directly tell Crypto who John is. But considering a dog's sense of smell, it seems like the dog would have picked up that he was super Yeah, son. I, I agree with you. That that was <laughs> that wasn't great. Um Jarrell's like Crypto, that's 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 uh, Kal-El's son. And Crypto's <laughs> like, Oh, okay, and then Crypto's like fucking smiling next to John. I'm like that's <laughs> Not how that works. Maybe, maybe Kryptonian dogs actually don't have good senses of smell. Well, the better thing would have been for him to attack Damien and not John, yeah. and then John yeah. realize it and try to like work around it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. They, they they should have brought you on as a co-writer, Matt. Yeah. Damn it. Although you would have blocked all those great insults, so I kind of I'm kind of glad they didn't. I probably would have been like retconned a bunch of shit that would have pissed you off. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So we do have a, a hollow Jor-El here, very reminiscent of the movies, right? And having John interact with a hollow Jor-El is another thing I'm pretty sure the comics haven't done. So that's kind of interesting. They haven't or have done? They haven't done. Well, they haven't done? Okay. Uh, I do remember the comics, like, sending Lois and John on some kind of quest in space with somebody that was claiming to be Jor-El. It was Jor-El, yeah. Okay, Jor-El. okay, this yep. did happen, okay. This did it, happen, yeah. My memory's very fuzzy on that, and I didn't read And that's why it. John got aged up in the comics. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, was a, that, was a, that wasn't a bad uh, plot, I thought. We also get a nice little detail from Jor-El's little exposition spiel, or I guess I should say hollow Jor-El's exposition spiel, that there are 28 known galaxies, uh, we also get the uh, direct comparison of Starro to a global pandemic. You know, always got to be timely. Always got to be timely. Yeah. I kind of think I'd prefer Starro over the COVID, though. What, would you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly seems easier, and certainly seems easier to contain. Like, Omicron, you can't contain. Starro, I feel like you can. So, we have Lois uh, back at the Daily Planet. You know, she's been freed uh, from her Starro during the scuffle with the Super Suns. And she's trying to make sure that Jimmy Olsen is not starred. So she threatens him with scissors and then kisses his cheek to make up for threatening him with scissors, <laughs> all of which I thought was very funny. Uh, we also have Damien complaining uh, about Jor-El's monologuing, comparing it to his grandfather's monologuing, which I thought was pretty funny. And then so we have Lois going to the White House to enlist presidential aid against the Staros. Matt, did you call who the president was going to be? I, Bobby, anytime I mention the president in the DCU, it's always going to be Lex Luthor. Uh, I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, this Luthor, who presumably is not Starrowed, although that turns out to be incorrect, but this presumably not Starrowed Luthor um, basically blackmails Lois into, okay, I'll help you defeat the global alien Starro pandemic, but you have to endorse me for my reelection, yeah. <laughs> which I thought was pretty great. Uh, that really made me funny. So uh, one weird thing that happened here, though, is one of uh, Luther's Secret Service guys has to search Lois's bag, and he finds a lighter, which mm. I thought was a really funny callback to the original film where Lois smokes. I don't think she smokes in the comics, and then unless I'm missing something, I don't remember her smoking in the comics. They definitely Mary Jane smoked in the late '80s, early '90s, and the Spider-Man comics made a huge deal out of that. Margot Kidder's <laughs> uh, nice. Lois was a smoker. Nice. I mean, it makes sense. We also, uh, we have Damien and John, you know, storm the watchtower. And we have Damien and Green Arrow square off. Um, And there's a lot of heat between Damien and Green Arrow, which I think is funny and appropriate. And I would like to see more heat between (laughs) Damien and Green Arrow in the comics. Although I do enjoy, in the comics, Damien and Green Arrow's illegitimate son, Connor Hawk, are 
are are tight and kind of bond over their shared kind of outsider son status. And I, I, I do appreciate that that facet of Damien's relationship to the Green Arrow. Uh, Wonder Girl takes on John at one point too, as well. Which is a good, yeah, that's a good pair off. I enjoyed seeing that. And it, during the fight, we see that Beast Boy can do extinct or mythological animals. I'm pretty sure he can't do in the comics usually. Like in the 90s, I think he started doing like mythological animals, but it was like, oh no, Beast Boy's disturbed. We got to get him counseling. <laughs> Yeah, I, I didn't know there were limits to his powers, but I guess that kind of makes sense because there's like nothing stopping him from shape shifting into like plastic man or something. Like the same way plastic man does. Yeah. You know, he can't and just be I, anything. He has to be an animal that exists. And then I guess I'm just gonna go ahead and make my complaint here, Matt. Matt, did you did you notice that there was entirely too much foreshadowing in this movie? Yeah, there was a lot. Uh, I mean, you have to for such a short film. <laughs> Yeah, way too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's only eighty minutes, man. And this is a, this is a non-exhaustive list of like stuff they foreshadow and then pay off. You have Jor El at the start. You have Hollow Jor El later. You have Bat T Rex early in. Then you have Beast Boy as a T Rex. You have the the talk about the Kryptonite in the Batcave. Then you have the Kryptonite showing up in the final fight. You have Lois's opening speech to John that he keeps talking about later in the back part of the movie. You have the whole thing with like Lois and the hairspray. You have the whole thing about befriending bullies, which, you know, obviously is uh, them talking not about Melvin, but about Damien. You have the whole thing with the baseball and hitting a home run on Starro. There was just so much foreshadowing in this movie. Yeah, uh, at the very end of this film, you know, it, it all it all works out in the end. You know, everything gets the, the stars are removed from Batman and Superman, and they end up all having a big fight with their sons uh, the, at their side. But it, it, the way they get rid of Starro is Superman tossing him at John, and then John using a tree trunk as a baseball bat to swing and knock Starro, you know, way off into space. Okay. Finally gets that home run, baby. He gets Finally the home gets run, home which run. was alluded to earlier where he missed. I was hoping so bad he was going to miss again. Like, I just That'd wanted it funny. to fucking happen. <laughs> That'd be funny. That'd be funny. Yep, yep. <laughs> but no, it didn't. Um, we get a few other nice little touches I wanted to call out. Like, when we do get the reveal that President Luther is starrowed, Lois impales Luther Starro with a U.S. flag from the desk which i thought was pretty funny and then we also have a it's kind of dark but kind of cool of before the big fight on earth where john home runs start have like damien and john think they're gonna die on the watchtower as it's crashing in after they've saved all the heroes and they're just sitting there and damien's running off all the things that he thought would kill him that didn't include giant alien starfish and a crashing satellite and he's just like ninjas yes joker possibly but you know not yeah. not this <laughs> and you know we have a nice little bit at the end where john and damien are sitting on a on a water tower and uh damien shoves john off to see if he can fly yet which he can't but that's okay yeah still can't still can't i i hope that uh i hope they do a sequel to this because this was fun and i wouldn't mind watching more of it and if they do a sequel i really hope they keep the uh keep the gag of damien shoving john yeah, it was a pretty funny running gag that they had in this within this film, and I don't see a sequel being made though, Bob. Uh, why? Why are you so down on the possibility? I don't know. As much as I want to, this this film just I don't think it hit as big as they wanted it to. How would you? How none of these films hit big? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, no, but they don't make sequels to them. So what? <laughs> what are you talking about? They've made like fucking fifty of these things. No, no, no. I'm talking about sequels to jo no sequels directly to this. No, or sequels directly to like. The fit, not, yes, they've made sequels within certain continuities, but I don't think they're making a sequel within this continuity. Or are they going to do like Super Zones two? Wait, what? Yeah, wait. On what basis would you say that? Though? Like, it, like we have no idea how this does. Like, because Bob, when I went to the Walmart, there was totally not an end cap with this on it. Yeah, but there wasn't an end cap of like the Green Lantern. But wrong, there was. There was. There was. <laughs> you don't believe me, but there was. It's crazy. I'll tell you. You, you were talking earlier about them not, like, advertising these movies. It's just they're not advertising the way you would expect them to. They put these well, films Well, yeah, they're like, not advertising. When I say they don't advertise them, I mean they don't advertise them in the app. Oh, in the like, app. Oh. I, yeah, like, I, they I, don't. Is that like, not algorithm generated anyway? Because it it's should not, 
not the stuff at the top no oh, okay. like that that in in hbo max like the stuff at the top is not is not specific to your algorithm yeah There's one of my no main way, ways of telling if a film is going to take off bob is if it has an in capital one word <laughs> so you're telling me that there was a green lantern in cap yes with a little cardboard cutout thing of john stewart <laughs> it was small but it was there I don't know. I mean, I let me pull up a list of these because I want to argue with you a little more about this. <laughs> I want to know what direct sequel you're referring to, though. That's my other thing. So, let's say they made like this. They made the Green Lantern movie. Now, Green Lantern, same John Stewart sequel. I mean, they literally made two Teen Titans movies. It's continuity. I understand why you think it's impossible that there could be a sequel to this. Because, wait, what other sequels have they made, Bob, other than the Teen Titans ones, which I didn't watch because I didn't, I was not interested in those. I mean, they <laughs> literally made, like, 40 of these. Yeah, they made 40 of them. They make three a year, yeah. But, I mean, I'm not, they don't make sequels. They make completely self, like, like a, not self is the word I'm looking for. So, like solo adventures or. No, they're not, that's not true. They're, like, like they're defined. You have you have the you have the DC animated movie universe, which is like something right. Like there are films 20... in that continuity, yes, Bob, yeah, but I'm talking direct sequel tw- of the characters. Yeah, they, like they did a Justice, <clears throat> like they did a Justice League Dark two parter in that. They did a Teen Titans two parter in that. They did multiple Batman and Superman sequels in that continuity. They, they did they did a ton in that. I don't and see then, them making it. I just don't see them making a sequel within. This likewise. Continuity. Likewise, they have the Tomorrowverse, which this is not in, but they have like the Tomorrowverse, and they've already made like what one, two, three, four, five Tomorrowverse. Well, Bob, maybe I stand corrected. Maybe they will make a sequel. We'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get our Super Sun. I'm not saying that it will definitely happen. I just, I just don't see how you can be like, no, there's no way in the world that this will ever happen. Eh, I don't know. I, don't, I just, I don't think the popularity of this one took off as well. I just don't. Like maybe you're right about the end cap thing, but like, come on, like the t- you're gonna tell me like that the popularity of Teen Titans or the popularity of the DC AMU like really took off? Oh no, no, I'm not talking DC AMU. No, I ain't being touched. Now the Teen Titans thing, whatever that that can go. Literally made so many DC AMU movies. So fucking many. Sixteen. Yeah, they made sixteen by my count. How many have you watched? I didn't watch Flashpoint. <laughs> I didn't watch Justice League War. I did watch Son of Batman. That was a good one. I didn't watch the the Aquaman Justice League one. I did watch Batman versus Robin. Um, I did watch Bad Blood. I did watch Justice League versus Titans. I did watch Justice League Dark, which is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I watched the Judas Contract. I watched the Suicide Squad one, which is nearly the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. That one was terrible. Uh, I watched, I did not watch Hush, or maybe I did, no. That was a maybe good one. Maybe I did yeah. watch Hush. You, you, If you know, if you, I've told you to watch it and you haven't. Maybe I did, because I watched the ones before it. Yeah, the Hush one was actually pretty good. It was, it was a reimagining of those. I watched the Wonder Woman one, and then I watched the final Justice. Yeah, so I watched about eight or nine of them. Well, Bob, that takes us to our next step. Yeah, yeah. I want you to rank... Your world's finest films, Bob, that you've seen because I can't because I don't I don't really remember a lot of these. <laughs> so, did you ever see uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, or Superman, Batman, Apocalypse? I did, and I also read the comics because they were yeah. under that same one. And yeah, they were. I mean, to me, they were just direct copies of what happened in the comic. There were. This is before I, I feel like they didn't reimagine the stories back then. Yeah, because those came out in like 2010, 2009. Yeah, because they yeah. were—it was like they were just pulling straight from the page and not really yeah. like making it its own thing. I don't—I don't think they really started re- doing like stories that were reimaginings until like because even like the, a lot of the DCAMU is just pretty straightforward. Like, okay, let's do the new Fifty Two. Right, and, that, and that's exactly what they did. Because I remember that first Justice League movie was straight off those pages like it wasn't any yeah any dark side <laughs> i read the comics that these were adapting but i never watched mm-hmm. the movie so i can't rank those two so the only three i can rank are this the world's finest three-parter from superman the animated series which i'm surprised you don't remember 
and then Dawn of Justice. Oh, actually, okay, can you give me, like, just a very quick synopsis of that plot? I probably will remember it at that point. Like, it's three-parter, it's aired in the Superman thing, it's how, it's how Superman and Batman meet. I believe it's, is Lois, like, is Lois attracted to Bruce, or they girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, Bruce Bruce and Lois go on a date, yeah. Yes, I do remember that, okay. And Luther and Joker meet, right? Yeah, Luther and Joker yep, mean. Okay. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure Superman and Batman discover each other's secret identities during it. They do. Yeah. 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 Very um, quickly. So yeah, I would. It. I would put that one first, uh, partly out of nostalgia, but partly out of just the animation is better than this one. And then I would put. Um, I would put Battle of the Super Sons at number two, even though I really like it. Just the animation is not totally my bag. And then I would put Dawn of Justice at a very distant third. Okay. I would yeah. probably, if I'd actually watched the Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, and Apocalypse, I would probably put them in between um, in between Battle of the Super Sons and Dawn of Justice, but I haven't, so I can't. Yeah, that's my, yeah that makes the most sense to me. I agree, All Bob. Right. I agree with your ranking. Congratulations. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so this has been our very extensive coverage of uh, Battle of the Super Sons with many, many tangents. Man, that, that, that went on for a while. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll, be back, uh, we'll be back soon with uh, coverage of the next DC animated movie, probably, when that comes out. And uh, yeah, I am Bob in Cascadia. That's Matt in the Southland. We are part of Uncanny Treks. Have a good night, everybody. Bet it won't be a sequel. Thanks for listening.